Welcome to the Leadership Drip, coffee and conversations for leaders leading the next generation. We're excited to welcome another incredible guest to the table. But before we do, could you do us a favor and hit that subscribe button? While you're at it, go ahead and give us a five-star review. That helps these conversations reach other great leaders. Pour yourself a cup of coffee and get ready to join us at the table for another great episode of the Leadership Drip. Meatloaf died today. I saw that. I would do anything for love, but I went to that. I would do anything for love. But I won't do that. But I won't do that. Hey, Rob, welcome back to the table. The coffee is hot and the weather is cold, um, but that's how we do it here in Cleveland, right? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I guess. I mean, At least in the wintertime. At least in the wintertime, I suppose. It is good to be back, though. So recording episodes, we are, I think this is our third oh. in since the semester. And we have a really fun guest, a friend named Grant Skeldon. Um, he's the next-gen director for Q Ideas. Our friends Gabe and Rebecca Lyons. Rebecca's yeah. been on the show, I can't even tell you, probably episode 12 or 13, yeah. really early on. Yeah. Gabe's been a friend of, of uh, Lee University with Q. Um, Grant is the, again, with Q Ideas, next-gen director. He has a book called The Passion Generation, helping pastors and parents who are trying to reach and raise the next generation. And this is why we had him on. We love this conversation. We're pastors and parents, so this is why we have this guy on. And he's from my favorite city, Nashville. Nash Vegas. Welcome to the show, Grant. <laughs> Thanks for having me, y'all. So I got to ask, got to ask. You, you, we, before we aired, you said you're only a year in, but the real Nashville question is, Hattie B's or party foul? How's your hot chicken hot take? I go Hattie B's because I haven't gone to party foul, which ironically, I guess, is a party foul. If I have <laughs> never been. <laughs> I, well, is that, I've never honestly heard that's in the conversation. I feel like the it's usually Hattie B's or Prince's is what they always tell me here. But yeah, yeah. Party I, foul I comes off like a tourist restaurant. It's right around the corner. My wife and I see it all the time. But we always see the the girls with pink cowboy hats going there, so we've always viewed that <laughs> the tourist spot, not the actual spot. So I, need to know. I, I will say this: I've had both. Um, Hattie B's is better. Party foul is hotter. Like it's oh, a yeah. step above. If you like hot, party foul is hotter. Okay. But Hattie B's is by far better. A better like chicken better experience. Chicken. I haven't been to party foul either, so like I, I don't know. I can't compare. Well, I'm going to sidetrack. Have you been to Peg Leg Porkers? Nope. I've seen it, though. That looks like a quality spot. It's If you like ribs and you like barbecue, Peg Leg Porkers downtown okay. is, yeah, that's the place to go. All right. Yeah. Okay. Restaurants. Well, yeah. Let's, we do it all here. We, we do, do it all, all here. Coffee, restaurants, you know, all the good stuff. Leadership, books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we're friends of Q Ideas, but maybe some of our guests and listeners, our, our listeners are not familiar with Q not Q and non. Let's be clear. Q ideas with Gabe and Rebecca Lines. Tell us a little bit about Q ideas and what you guys do. Yeah, for Q, a lot of our heart is to, in the midst of, <laughs> for us, if you, I feel like if you turn on the news every now and then, you have to catch it at the right time. But if you turn on the news at the right time every now and then throughout the day, you'll see that there's like some tension in our nation and problems going on in the world. Um, and we just feel like in a world that sometimes can feel very divided, polarizing, um, racial tension, uh, a lot of deconstruction, a lot of young people leaving the faith. Um, just man, it just seems like everything. It's like God, where's the re the revival that's coming soon? Mm -hmm. um, we felt like it's very important that Christians don't just 
um, think about what's going on among us as believers, but also are uh, faithfully, thoughtfully, biblically, and respectfully um, engaged in what's going on in culture. And so uh, I really appreciate how Q, probably most known for doing a, a national conference here in Nashville in April, where we gather, um, yeah, some of the most, uh, I think, wise, uh, thoughtful, and I, I use the word phrase to respectful, just in a time, yeah, there's, there's a lot of people with big platforms, um, but it's almost like they had to be very offensive to the other side, and that kind of garnered a lot of, attract, uh, attracted a lot of people, mm-hmm. and I think Gabe and Rebecca did a really good job of finding who are people that uh, can land in one spot uh, biblically here, and then the, someone else can biblically land in a different spot, and how can they have a conversation around it? Yeah. Uh, like you mentioned, I've been here for one year. I When explaining to my younger friends that maybe aren't familiar with you, I said, bro, the first, uh, one of the first panels I was just like, kind of thought was cool was uh, I had just got hired and Q was doing this thing called Church and State. And it was more of a themed conference because it was around the time that uh, churches were trying to decide, should we shut down church? Uh, it was in 2020. Should we shut down church um, or should uh, until further notice or should we open it up even though they're saying not to? And what, yeah, what should we do? And uh, at the time, Andy Stanley had just said, hey, for the rest of the year, if you guys remember, he made that decision. Right. Yeah. A lot of churches followed. Um, and said, hey, for the rest of the year, we're going to stop doing this. Like back at that time, it was okay next month okay, about Easter. Okay, after, and they're like, we're going to stop doing that just for the rest of the year. Under the banner of loving our neighbor, um, that verse guided him to say, we are going to shut down for a year. And there are other churches, I think, uh, Ernie McManus, I remember him doing that. Uh, tons of churches that we wouldn't even know that followed suit with that. So that's one person on the panel. On the other side of the panel, they had uh, John MacArthur. And John MacArthur's view on that was very different. He was yeah. like in California yeah. getting fined or sued or just a lot of attention. He's like, we're going to stay open. And we believe that biblically, this is, there's a point in which actually we don't, we don't submit to this and that. And, uh, and they saw good come out of that in some ways too. And then the third person they had on the panel was Francis Chan. And he's classic, like, are we just, are we just putting too much emphasis on church on Sunday? Like maybe, maybe God wants <laughs> yeah. to, maybe God wants us to, to be more like than just a Sunday event. This is all the conversations around. And, yeah. and I just thought all three guys that are being guided by scripture, trying to submit to the spirit in this season. And um, I just thought it was kind of cool to, and now that's a, that's kind of an in-house church and culture conversation, but uh, man, they talk about a lot of unique topics and Q yeah. conference specifically does kind of like these TED Talks on culture mm-hmm. by great experts uh, on those themes. Yeah, I just really want to echo that. I mean, here at Lee, we do Q Union every year, which is a combination of the Q Conference slash uh, its students who are speaking on different topics that are selected um, from around the country. And so it, it's a really powerful experience. Um, and I, I will say this, the, the, the Q Conference that happens in Nashville annually, minus the pandemic, um, you know, they have some of the most fruitful conversations yeah. on some of those difficult topics um, that you can encounter in the church world. Everything from, yes, the, of course, the LGBTQ plus conversations, but I've been to a couple sessions where they're talking about AI and sex robots and what does that mean for healthy marriages and families going forward. Like, I mean, there's been so many different uh, conversations that are very real conversations yeah. are our, our people in our churches and especially our next generation uh, coming up are asking about. I mean, it's that, I think that's the really cool thing about it. So 
I'm a huge fan, not only of the Lions, of course, but of of the concept and the power and the the virtue of what Q accomplishes. Yeah. So get involved, get connected. Right, and they handle it better than your aunt does on Facebook. Yes. Like, yes. that's the thing I think Q yeah. does really well. Yeah. It's it's not a Facebook rant or right. argument. Of course. Or a Twitter fight. Um, the the folks at Q and, and that Grant's connected to you do a good job of holding the tension of the conversation and yeah. letting people sort of digest all of it and come to their own conclusions and – um, listen, there's been some I've watched and listened to. And now it, the t- you feel the tension. You're like, I, I lean one way or another on the conversation, but I need to hear the other side to help right. me make my own decisions, and, and especially as a leader. So uh, we love it. So how has your role as the next-gen director of Q kind of taken shape? What does that mean? Yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's a unique uh it's kind of a title that we just kind of came up to somewhat embody what I help with. But I mean, I am helping with maybe nominating some new young speakers and fresh voices for Q and maybe uh, helping even if they're for younger audience that comes uh, the last year or so been helping kind of convene and uh, yeah, just connect a lot of the new young leaders, but also behind the scenes, uh, we're doing a lot of intentional um, gatherings and private dinners and maybe some private retreats for, I would say, some of the most high capacity young Christian leaders across the nation. So uh, I do do a lot, actually more, I'd say 80% of my job is happening yeah. in private spaces. Um, and then I help a little bit with, Q, with the, the conferences and the, the gatherings. You guys hosted some friends of ours, uh, like a couple months ago, you had a young leaders sort of yeah. Q&A or something. I remember Hannah Granowski was oh, there. Yeah. And a couple other people we've talked to on the show were there. Tell us kind of the the feel from that group of leaders. What are what are you gathering from them as far as their their sort of feel on culture and then the local church? I mean, as you're talking to these twenty somethings that are are leading well, what are you gathering from them? Uh, yeah. For, so the event you're talking about is called it was called Next Gen Summit. So it was a private yeah. invite retreat for. Uh, 250 the most diverse dynamic young leaders across the nation especially uh, when i say diverse of course we often think race and, and it was it was extremely racially diverse but also we look at um diversity in areas of the country that these leaders are coming from just seeing are we are mm-hmm. we mostly from the south or do we have leaders from the west especially the north and the northeast um and and especially for us um diversity and industry and channels of culture um often conferences in the christian space are for pastors um or or maybe vocational ministry leaders um and this was for uh christians and culture we're especially looking for uh speakers authors musicians online influencers professional or olympic athletes that are believers and how do we better equip them and train them to navigate the culture that is constantly shifting in the last couple of years um, to finish well in light of all the leaders that mm-hmm. unfortunately are falling um, in our generation and um, to kind of, yeah, have soul care and make sure to like uh, prioritize things that kind of become important when you're older, but should be important when even you're younger and you're just starting ministry, like pure motives, um, Sabbathing, um, just learning how to say no to like not lose your soul for yeah, while you're just running and building and almost find your identity in that, especially when you're young, that can be a temptation for these high capacity young leaders that are thrust into the spotlight. Um, and then uh, fourth was like, especially to help them feel the responsibility that they could reach 
and we need them to be intentional to try to reach the most lost generation our nation yeah. has ever seen. Um, that if if most young people after high school um, are not going to church, then they are still watching. I, I believe a Gen Z kid who's like 17 or 25, who's not going to church, um, is still being influenced. And I would say when it comes to people outside of friends and family, um, they are watching like where they're taking their cues for a lot of stuff is through music they're listening to. Um, that a lot of ways gives way to how we see love and relationships and feelings and how to deal with pain or or hurt or breakup or whatever it may be. Um, music does that a lot. I think movies do that a lot. I think a lot of young people get their cues from professional athletes and uh, especially online influencers, a lot of Gen Z, especially youth and kids, they don't even watch channels or TV anymore. They, they subscribe to channels. And so yeah. um, I think it's like uber important that uh, we, yeah, help them realize they are not the B team. They are, I don't want to say the A team because I don't want to say that it's not to supplant the church, but um, yeah, it would be such a shame if they feel like this is something I do that's pretty cool, but church is where I really do ministry. And instead of like, we need you to step it up uh, biblically, to be bold, to uh, be grounded, to be healthy, um, and to finish well. So um, that's, that's what that was. And I think, yeah, the response was like really, really awesome to see um, how much these guys need community it was really powerful. Yeah. I think if you are 19 to 25 and you've gotten thrust into some type of spotlight or some type of big responsibility um, at a very young age, you, you mentioned Hannah Gronowski. I mean, she's traveling the nation probably once every two weeks. She's pretty, really good friends with me and my wife and she's speaking. We're, we're working on something for exponential uh, which we're going to be speaking like probably eight times, I think. And that's one of the large, that is the largest church planning conference in the nation. Yeah. And he's 26, I think. And so uh, for her to do that, she, we're always talking, I'm trying to help with like fundraising and, and even that, like for us to connect and for all these young leaders to connect, uh, it can be hard when, if leadership is lonely, what I've realized being a young Christian leader on a somewhat national level can be extremely lonely because you feel like, man, most of the young people my age don't even love God or follow yeah. God or go to church. The rest that do, a lot of young people, even in their late mid twenties and late twenties are still trying to figure out what they want to do with their life and navigate mm -hmm. that. So if you're by the grace of God, given clarity at a young age and you then responded strongly to that and then God's given some opportunities and opening some doors, um, you start really being separated from your generation and you can only kind of relate to and connect with older leaders, which is still really, really important. But I, I found it to be a breath of fresh air for these guys to find people where I always say you can take your cape off. You can um, you don't have to be on. Uh, we all get what it's like to kind of right. navigate all that. Um, and you, you don't have to. And in some sense, maybe you get to be a kid kind of because some of these guys got saved and almost immediately got put into leadership yeah, sure. and they they never got to be kind of poured into they're always pouring out so as you're kind of gathering in these circles um again with you know influential leaders at a young age who are doing their best to engage uh, not only in just the ministry but um in a local church context or uh, in some kind of discipleship reality right you know they're they're trying to engage in that if you could and, and maybe you can off the top of your head that's okay but are there one, two, three recurring themes that you see with young leaders 
um, and what they need, either from the local church or just in a discipleship reality? Like, is there are, are there like just some identifiable markers that just keep being repeated? Yeah, that's good. Uh, need, I would say a mentor and door opener is always huge. Yeah. Um, if you have someone uh, who, and I, I, I do differentiate those two, or I think you can have many people, young leaders can have mentors that are uh, pouring in wisdom, even maybe pouring in financially, but it's really big. I feel like it's a game changer when that mentor is a door opener and advocator yeah. for, for that young person. Um, some of the best young leaders, and I, actually that's not the right phrase. Some of the young, uh, some of the young leaders that get some of the biggest opportunities for their age, it's definitely because they have more of a door opener kind of mentor. Mm -hmm. um, that someone's like advocating, hey, you gotta get this young person to speak here, to uh, be a part of this leadership team, to be at this table to help with, um, to help with guiding our decisions here. Uh, I don't know to just check them out. Like uh, I know they're young, but give them an opportunity. Uh, I think that that's really big. I think uh, having a mentor uh, gets young people to believe bigger than they can because you have like this safety net of, hey, this guy's in my ear who's older or this woman's in my ear that's older says, hey, I got you. Like just, yeah. I remember for me when I was 23-ish, 24, it's the first time I ever did a retreat. It was encouraged by uh, a guy named Eric Swanson, just fun, awesome, older man, but he's 30, 40 years older than me and did a lot with leadership networking. And he said, Hey, you're starting to meet a lot of these young leaders. They're becoming close, great friends of yours, but you live in different parts of the country, which is great and fine. Um, and those still might become some of your closest friends, but you should like create a rhythm where maybe you all come together once a year. And if you're okay with it, you should probably do a retreat. And he said, I said, I'd love to do something like that, but I don't have the finances to do something like that or a place or getting them to fly. I don't know. It takes so much work. I've never done anything like that. And he said, look, if you get them there, I will find i'll get you a location that would be awesome in colorado um he got a, a former denver broncos like second home and it could sleep like 20 uh i never could have done that in my own yeah. relationships yeah. And works at 23 no way and he said i'll cook and he did, he loves cooking he's doing like top notches and he said i'll get drinks um so he's like i'll get the drinks i'll get the food and i'll get uh, a location all you gotta do is get them there and i i think that that really I just never would, I would have talked myself out of it. Um, I would have, it warranted, I would have talked myself out of doing that. So I think uh, that's big. I think a second one I just want to say quickly is, I think a lot of young leaders, Christian and not, um, just need a lot of, uh, I'm trying to think how to say it the right way. There's something about like, you find your identity in Christ and before that, you were finding your identity in something else. It could right. be not most of the time in high school and college. It's like for what you do or what you can do. A lot of times it's a sport um, in high school or a relationship, maybe. Uh, but it's something other than God. Um, and it's unique for Christian young leaders is uh, we get saved. And usually for a lot of young leaders in some form or fashion, no matter what they do, it's like then they realize they can do this thing because they love God so much. They get a they realize they have a gift, whether it's speaking or writing or convening, or if it's a, uh, I don't know, they had an idea and they created a nonprofit or something. Um, and all of a sudden it's like, they went from my identity is in this relationship or the sport, but then I found Christ and that's so much richer to now my identity is Christian leadership, almost like I'm a leader yeah. for Christ. Um, and I think, I think making sure like you're not, having to maintain that 
in order to be loved by God. And really, it's almost like we do it again, but in Christ this time and for Christ. But it, it starts it starts getting a little polluted. Um, and worse, I, I, I think comparison is probably one of the biggest things uh, the next generation struggles with that we kind of act in, we treat like a bad habit instead of treating it like something that overall can like kill our soul and our our intimacy with God and our our, our the level of intimacy we can have with other friends and um, it can waste so much time like something I've been sharing a lot with young leaders is I'm realizing a lot of young people leadership leaders or just young in general spend a lot of their energy and their time doing things that they're not called to do but they see a lot of their friends doing and it it comes with cool benefits so like writing a book, starting a podcast, uh, starting to post a lot of quotes on Instagram. Like you just start seeing like, hey, this is how you can do this. And so there's a lot of starting things. And I'm like, but are you called to write a book or is yeah, that actually, yeah. um, or starting a nonprofit? I mean, how many young people in college I knew that was like, I think I want to start a nonprofit here. I'm like, you just kind of found out about it. maybe, but uh, yeah, just maybe, uh, I wonder how much kingdom energy is being exerted on things that aren't their calling, but their friends are doing it and there's some perks they're getting and they're more attracted to the perks that come from doing it. Yeah, it's a great statement. So how how then, Grant, are USQ and maybe we can, even the local church, help steer some of that conversation, especially on the identity piece and the calling Um to help students really discover what God has for them and not just the good that is out there, if that makes sense. Like, so they're getting the perks, they're doing good by starting a nonprofit, but how can we maybe take this energy they have? Because when they, when young adults get saved or when they really pursue God, they have high energy and they want to get things, they're causational. How can we really help them find their calling and release them into that? Yeah. How to find their calling. Um, how to find their calling. I mean, I think a lot about, uh, I would say two things. One, I mean, this very high overview. John, uh, Jim Collins in Good to Great talks about like, find something you're good at, find something uh, that you love to do, that like it, something you're good at that you love to do. Yeah. And ideally, I mean, a lot of young people, I think, stop at that, like, especially millennials, I think, for pros, they're like, this is what I love to do, and this is what I'm good at. But they never, the third one is, and that people will pay you for. And there's a lot of young people that like follow their passion, but there was no provision for that. Um, mm. So I would always say a lot of young people were like passionate, but broke. Um, and I think that is important. Um, give me one second. Um, so yeah, I would say that. And then, I think especially for college students or high school students and even parents with high school students or college students, if they could um, give their, if you're young, I just think uh, taking a year, a gap year of some sort actually would be really, really helpful. Mm. Um, there's a, just a gap year that's really getting out of your uh, rhythms and your circles and even maybe going to other countries for a short season. I think, um, I've never been to another country in another culture and not like kind of seen my life and seen the world in a very different way. You just see, yeah. Hey, there's a place in, in the world that totally doesn't care about what is like 
king in in, our, in my small world in my small culture um mm -hmm. and i yeah i just think it's it's a game changer to do that as well as i think it's massively important that if you're in college that you uh are taking some type of internship or spending a lot of that time trying to get discipled uh, yeah. if, if the majority of your time is just with other young people then you're really um wasting this window of time you'll never get back where you don't have to ask your parents for permission and you don't yet have to ask your your spouse for permission either that's good yeah that's a good conversation uh well let's kind of jump into the book a little bit because we definitely want to talk about that as well um your book passion generation um first of all maybe a multi-part question what what is a passion generation first of all you can kind of work through the definition or what you mean by that but in that book you also state it's not a millennial problem it's a discipleship problem so the second part of that question is um kind of where do you see or have you seen uh, the discipleship lacking in the church? So what is the passion generation? Explain that about the book. And then sort of that quote, which I believe is, is a, is a great statement to talk about um, what is lacking in discipleship in the local church. Where are we missing it? I mean, so I said is the passion generation just because, and I think it was a, uh, felt like our parents' generation really pursued, uh, especially grandparents' generation, really pursued provision, um, mm -hmm. like jobs that made good money. Um, and I do think that that was warranted thinking in light of like seeing their parents come out of the Great Depression. Um, and so it's like, I, I would always joke, I was like, if, I mean, if I'm talking to parents of the next generation, I say, why is it that if, um, if your kid told you maybe in high school or in college, hey mom, dad, I, I've kind of been thinking, I've been praying and I feel like God's calling me to be, especially if they said this in high school, I feel like God's calling me to be an architect or I feel like God's calling me to be a lawyer or I feel like God's calling me a doctor. I really want to like work hard to make that happen. I feel like the average American Christian family and parents would be like, we love that. Oh my gosh, like how can we support mm. that and make sure that happens? Um, but if that same kid then in college two years later is like, hey, mom, dad, I went to a passion conference or I went to a Q conference or I went to a sun conference um, and or I've just been reading the scriptures. I've been hanging out with these new friends that are just like on fire for God. And uh, I, I am really thinking about dropping out of this college uh, to be a lawyer, to be a doctor, or to be an architect, because I really feel like God's calling me to be a missionary. Or I really got, I feel like God, I've been praying and I've, I've put in the work. It's going to be hard. I feel like God's calling me to be a church planter or to be a worship leader. Uh, those same American Christian parents that go to church all the time. I mean, I think they really would be like, hold on, before you drop out, like, let's pray about yeah. this a little bit more. Let's like, yeah. be paid. Um, don't, please don't do anything drastic, please. And um, I, I like to ask parents, like, why is it that if they're, kids want to do something that makes good money for God and God accompanied with that, then it's like, no brainer. We love it. Let's go. We want to help you do that. But if it's, Hey, there, your kids feeling called to be a pastor, a worship leader, a missionary, a nonprofit leader. Um, it's like, Hey, please don't make any drastic decisions instead of being like, Oh my God, like yeah. they're, they're leveling up. And not that that job is better, but there is a sacrifice that comes with that. And there's a, there's a unknown that comes with that. And a lot of parents, American Christian parents, would be really concerned with that shift. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that kind of reveals how much uh, the gospel has been mixed with um, the American dream in some ways. Yeah. Um, 
and that mindset of pursuing provision um, instead of passion um, or purpose. And um, as I, what I found as I've gotten older is it seems like it's not that it was either or, but it seems like a lot of the old mindset was you work really hard to make money and do because uh, our parents' generation and grandparents' generation especially did jobs that millennials uh, got to see their parents do jobs that they absolutely hated. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know a lot of my friends that had parents that came home, especially dads, happy from their job, like fulfilled right. by the job. It was like, but they did it for 20 years, same same company or same thing, um, 20 or 30 years. And uh, it's just a different mindset. Like young people do not stay that long. They will quit. And and I'm not saying one's right and one's wrong. I, like I said, there's a, there's passion generation and there was provision generation. Then we got a generation that's passionate and broke and doesn't have a job and doesn't stay at a job long. That's not yeah. the answer. Um, but that's, that's, that's why is I, I felt like uh, this generation wasn't wanting to do what their parents did, which was work towards provision for 20, 30, 40 years, and then get to pursue your passion and, and purpose. And uh, if you're familiar with halftime, that's, that's kind of what it talks about is you get to this midlife crisis where you're like, okay, I want to use the rest of my life towards a passion, towards a purpose. Um, I think this generation isn't asked having midlife crises, but more like quarter life crises. Yeah. And yeah. they don't want to go to college. Uh, they're not considering college by what job's going to make a lot of money. Um, they're considering it by like, how, how do I make a difference in the world? But without discipleship, without mentorship, and with their own wisdom, just hanging out with other young people their age, uh, that's, they don't have the tools, I feel like, equipped to make the right decision yet. And that's so it's so important that we like disciple them while they're young and speak into their identity and their calling then. Grant, you're you're saying things that are being echoed in conversations we have. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many students Rob and I have probably encountered who we have conversations about calling, about identity, and they go, Oh, I feel like I want to be a worship pastor, but I'm studying human development. Or I feel like I want to be a missionary, but I'm in the international business track. Um, God's calling me to preach and teach, but I'm an athletic training major. Like, and then you talk to them about their parents. Their parents are like, well, get a degree that's safe that you can fall back on. Like the ministry is not secure, you know? Yeah. And, and so yeah. we're seeing that in real life here, that exact conversation. Um, Rob, I'm sure you've had as many as I've had as students oh, come oh, in here. Sure. But it, and it echoes not only here, but across literally right. every Christian university in America, they're all I would dealing, say secular universities. Well, even secular universities, but I mean Christian universities that are by design supposed to be first of all Christian focused, biblically based, theologically sound, discipleship producing sort of educational fronts. Right? That's that's the mantra. Um, most of their schools of religion or departments of pastoral uh, leadership or whatever their programs are called are shrinking very quickly. Very quickly, like, mm-hmm. and and it's and I don't think it's that less people are being called into the ministry. I think it's I think it's really wrestling through this, um, both this entrepreneurial desire of Generation Z and the generation, the passion generation. They want the wisdom and the capability to create things, businesses, side hustles, whatever, while at the same time being able to pursue some kind of theologically faithful educational yeah. process that allows them to do the ministry or the parachurch, you know, ministry or the cause oriented Christian focus, whether it be human trafficking or whatever, like the thing, you know, what the yeah. things are right. So I think, I think that that paradox is, is strongly at play. Um, 
And I think even from a from an educational standpoint, not just a parental standpoint, when you start talking about lawyers and doctors and how okay we are with students or our, our kids pursuing that, but the second they say ministry or missions or worship leader or whatever, we're like, hey, hold up a little bit, let's don't go so fast, you know, like all the things. But we we are even doing that in a in a higher education sense as well, like like. I mean, here at Lee, which is a great Christian university, yep. spirit-filled Christian university. I mean, we we don't do a ton, and this is going to sound like a critical statement, and perhaps it is. We don't really do a ton to emphasize the spiritual backbone for which we're built and which are created. We push our nursing programs and our business programs, which are phenomenal, some of the highest rated in the state of Tennessee. But what about our school of religion? What about our intercultural studies? What about yeah. our pastoral ministry majors? What about our you know our missions majors and the people who, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So I think I think yeah. we're even seeing that in the higher education world because of the dynamics of the culture and how it's shifting. And so I think for me, part of my big struggle is how do we how do we build the bridge and not isolate one That's from the question. other? Like how do how, how do we enroll? or emphasize or celebrate a student that says, I feel a calling to ministry and still equip them to do the other things. Like, is that possible to, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. how do we, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Well, and I think the, the further question is, Grant, how does discipleship play into that? Because I think discipleship is the key. So how would discipleship play into helping navigate that bridge? Uh, I think uh, helping them, say, we, like we said, a paradox uh, is that it, it isn't either or. And it is like there's times where you got to do a job that is provision. It's not fun. It's just yeah. like doing the work. Um, and there's times when you feel like, man, this is my sweet spot of my purpose. And there's times um, when, yeah, you feel like I'm, I'm passionate about this. But uh, even me, I, I people ask me all the time, I'm one year into working at Q, like, how, how do you like it? I did my own thing for seven years and merged it into Q. And uh, I really feel like I've never in my life been more in my sweet spot, but there's still definitely things that I have to do on a day-to-day basis that I'm not passionate about. Right. And uh, I think if I lived only on the mindset of like, well, if it's not my passion that I want to take that job, then um, I would have left. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I also, there was a thing on Twitter that uh, it was a couple of years ago. It was a hashtag first seven jobs. And uh, it asked everyone like had to post first, they're just their first seven jobs. And it was always interesting to see it from your friends, especially if they're pretty successful to be like, wait, your first job, like for me was Marshall's. I don't know you know, what yeah, you guys, yeah. what your first job was. Um, well, yeah, just curious. Yeah. What was the first job you ever My did? My first job was a ski instructor. At a ski lodge. No way. That's yeah. super sleek, man. Yeah. I was a bus boy at a restaurant called the Ponderosa. I remember Ponderosa. Yeah. Yeah. Well, based on all three of our jobs, no one would have said, hey, that's kind of on pace to get to where we're <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so there's like, but I actually, I, I would go further. If I write another book and two young people, I'd love to do like, hey, every, write your first seven jobs. And then for each job, write one big thing that you actually did learn at that job that kind of some way influences how you live today um, in your leadership and the relationships and something. Cause at my first, I remember at Marshall's, it was the first time I saw, I learned the lesson that if you do a really good job, you're actually going to stand out a ton because everyone just does a good enough job. Yeah. I just never, knew, I never knew that uh, you had to like space out at least at my Marshall's. I feel like I go to other Marshall's. They're not as, uh, I guess, strict as my boss at that time, 2006 was. But you had to, like, when we had to hang everything back up, it had to be, like, 
evenly. If it was five, then how do you evenly put it on the rack with five? If it was 20, then how do you evenly do it? And uh, I just realized like so many of everyone else my age and older just didn't do that. Um, and I felt like they told me how to do it. So I did it and I, it kind of did advance me more. And I always thought they'd treat me like I was such a hard worker, but I was like, I'm technically just doing exactly what you asked this. Um, and sometimes maybe a little more. And I still believe that to this day. I tell young people today, that's why I talk about not just hanging out with young people is if you, uh, are young today everyone kind of is dogging on the next generation generally like man where what's happening where are they going like why are they taking so long to get married or to to graduate or to find their calling or their job or um, to why they leave in the church it's kind of sometimes pretty negative and i always think man that is bad but it actually is an advantage if you're serious about your faith and about leadership because the bar you you just have to do good to look great like the bar yeah. is so low that if you do a good job it looks like you did a great job because everyone else is doing a bad job and if you do a great job actually you look like you're a unicorn like one in a million because everyone is just the bar so low and take advantage yeah. of it um but I, yeah i'm curious what from what you guys said uh you're seeing this in a college campus y'all get to deal with this way more than i do actually seeing students i see that i get to talk to a lot of parents and right. i do talk to some students but it's been a couple of years since i've probably asked and seen, especially with Gen Z, but you almost seen, y'all were talking about like, almost like you're, you have visual people in your mind that are encountering this conflict of like, this is what I want to do. This is what my parents want me to do. You use the phrase safe, which is definitely a common, Hey, that's the safe bet or right. just, um, what do those kids like, tell me about the, 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 the psyche or the thinking of those kids and what do they end up doing? Um, because I think a lot of young kids and including young Christians are having to make that decision of uh, almost like Dead Poet Society is the yeah. book, I, the movie I yeah. think of where his dad with good intentions is saying, hey, you're not going to drop out of, uh, I think it was a yearbook and theater arts. You, we, me and your mom worked way too hard to get you into this preparatory school right. so you could be a doctor. Um, so you're going to drop those classes. He just told him you're going to do it. And he's like, this is what I love doing this though. And he's like, no, you have no distractions, cut it. And he has to either decide, do I honor my parents who are looking out for me at least through one lens of finances yeah. and being successful and have, be, have it, providing a better life than they had for me, or do I go behind their back and, or cut them out of the equation and just say, I'm just going to do this. Cause I know they love me, but they, they, it's a new world and they, they're not operating in my best interest. Um, I'm curious, yeah, what you're seeing kids. So, yeah, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know yet because I had a conversation with a young lady this week. She uh, went through our assimilation process at church. She's an athletic training major. She's in her final semester of that. But two years ago, um, she, she kind of had this realization that God has called her to preaching and teaching as a gift of hers, and she wants to use it. And she had a conversation with her parents, and they were like, hey, stay in the major and see it through, right? And so we get to the end of our simulation process, and we're talking about gifts, spiritual gifts and placements and where we use you in the church. And afterwards, she comes and finds me. And one of the things we are trying to move towards is using young adults, especially the end of our service, to kind of cl a closing prayer and dismissal just to get them some stage space and things like that. And she goes, I, I don't want to sound extra. That's what she said. I don't want to sound extra. She goes, but um, 
I, I'm really feel like God's called me to teach and preach. And I used to do fine arts, which is instantly God as like a program, a track for arts. And she do, I would do short sermon and I won like merit, scholar, merits on or whatever. Um, so she's living in the tension of knowing what her gifts are and the, the reality of finishing a program that's going to get her a job. Um, and her dad's a pastor. Yeah. Like, so I don't know the outcome yet. Like, and it may be like, and I don't want to say like one's wrong or one's right. Cause God may be like, Hey, let's take you through athletic training and get you into some, you know, whatever chaplaining for a WNBA or an NBA team or something, you know, anything's possible, but it's definitely the tension they're living in and, and sort of leaning toward the side of, of the degree and the safe. Yeah. I mean, and I think for me it's, uh, yes, I think everything Jeff is saying is true. Um, I think I think the the big missing piece of information for a lot of students that I talk to on a regular basis, when it comes to ministry, they don't know where to start. That's good. Yeah, they have no clue how to begin. They've got there. There's no like local church pastor like pulling them in and saying, "Hey, you know, I'm going to work with you for six months, and you're going to preach a sermon, and then you know we're going to take the next step." There's there's nothing like that really happening well in the local church and so a lot of these students these kids are defaulting to the major or defaulting to their professional track because they don't have any clue where to start in the church because yeah we have not created very clear pathways for the next generation to step into those gifts and those callings right so because the imagery is there's an older more established mature experienced person in the pulpit and there's no clear pathway of how to get there. Mm. And so I think a lot of them are, are coming in and saying, I want to go in the ministry, but I have no clue how to start in the ministry. So I'm going to start with being a teacher. I'm going to start with being a nurse. I'm going to start with, yeah. you know, uh, my business and I'm going to start off with my accounting degree. And then I'm going to, I'm going to pray and ask God how I do the next steps from there. But if, but if we created much clearer pathways or we had mm. much clearer opportunities for how to actually activate students into the gifts and the callings of the Spirit for the local church, for the ministry that they have, if we had better pathways of doing that, I think we would see a lot more students, even if they kept the more professional degrees versus a pastoral degree or whatever, I think we'd see a lot more students graduating with a business degree that went directly into ministry. Versus yeah. starting off in business, and so I think yeah. I think the yeah. big missing piece for me is as a college pastor on campus is it is so easy for them. I mean, they got people beating down their doors over here in the business building and the nursing building. You can get an eighty thousand dollar job right from Jump Street in nursing, right before you even graduate. Sixty thousand dollar job before you even graduate, and so that makes it so easy for them to just and attractive. Yeah, and it's attractive, right? Mm-hmm. Because they it takes all the guesswork out of it. Right. Instead of instead of instead of being able to have opportunities to launch out in the, in the ministry right off the bat. So I'm not saying that's there's an easy solution to that. I'm not sure there is a solution to that. But I think of all the conversations that I'm having, why they don't go into the ministry when they feel a call right out of college is because they have no clue where to start. You said something yesterday, either in our conversation or in a recording that we we don't tend to celebrate people acknowledging their callings anymore. 
Yeah. Like, like when somebody goes, Hey, I want to go be a pastor. We go, Ooh, where the parent or the, the whoever who goes, I'm going to go be a doctor. We're like, yeah, that's awesome. But somebody goes, Hey, I think I'm going to go be a missionary to Botswana. We go, Oh, are you sure? Like we don't celebrate that. And what celebrated gets repeated. Like that's yeah. a leadership principle. Yeah. So maybe the beginning point is we just start celebrating callings. Um, Maybe that makes somebody else go, hey, if that got celebrated, I'm going to step into that. I think a critical point, clear pathways is very important in allowing that. Church culture, Grant, I don't know where you attend, but most churches have moved the same direction. We have one Sunday expression. You may have that same Sunday expression multiple times. And you have Wednesday night, maybe a youth setting or something. But there used to be three or four settings that a young minister could find themselves in to preach or teach or exercise the gift and fail miserably. Like, we don't have those anymore. Rob and I cut our teeth preaching on, like, Wednesday nights at some little country church. Like, those opportunities are not there anymore. Um, So we got to rethink how we create opportunities for young ministers and leaders to try and fail. Because we're not going to put them Sunday morning in front of 2,000 people. Right. We're just not going to do it. Where everything is streamed live. You know what I'm saying? It's just not going to happen. So maybe from your perspective, how could we do some of that? What are some avenues maybe that we can see that it was sort of just white, white, like whiteboarding the whole idea here. (laughs) What are some ways we could do that? Honestly, I've never talked about this on a podcast or really so many of my good friends don't even know this happened. If they didn't know me like 10 years ago is uh, when I was in college, I went to Dallas Baptist University in in Texas. Uh, Dallas is kind of home until a year ago. And uh, I think that, uh, I read a quote by Tim Keller around, it was like, said something around the line of, no matter what you do, your first 200 sermons are going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. it, it, was, it was like, your first 200 sermons are going to be terrible. That was the word terrible. And I was like, oh man, like I preached zero at this time. <laughs> like maybe if you count like a six minute thing I did at this Methodist church Bible study for like 60 kids, and then I got one, um, you know, six yeah. minutes. <laughs> And so, um, and I don't, like, fortunately that, that's on YouTube and it's uh, luckily so buried, but uh, <laughs> we'll link to it in the show notes. <laughs> you barely understand what I was saying. Like, it's so bad, but it actually connected somehow. Anyway, I say all that to say, uh, I actually was like, yo, same thing you just said is I, I, at the time wanted to be a church planter. Um, I thought, oh, cause at my time, at that time, my image of, if you love God, you had to be a pastor. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay. I got to be a pastor and preacher. And so um, I was like, I don't want the first time I start doing these 200 sermons to be with real people that have to suffer through that. That's like, why is this the way that it works? And usually it is youth and then maybe college or young adults yeah. and then senior pastor. So I'm like, it's going to be kids, I guess, that have to do it. And so what I decided to do was to create a, I, I called it the call. Um, and uh, it was, basically me and like 10 or 15 of my other friends that were like in Bible schools across the area that wanted to preach and be a pastor, growing their voice. And we just, uh, I found a church that would let us on a Saturday night, um, use their small building room, like a small classroom type of setting. And you would have five minutes to preach and about all 10 or 15 of us preach before you went up, you got to pick two people that were friends in that room that would give you feedback. And I think it was off of, it was off of, your delivery, your content, like being theologically correct, your delivery, and then authenticity was a third. Like, do you actually, is that actually sound like you or yeah, are, yeah. Can, 
you're listening to Matt Chandler a lot or T.D. Jakes or Stephen Furtick or Mark Driscoll at the time. Like those, I, I you can almost tell, like, is it you? Because uh, we know you. And uh, it really, really helped a lot. Like um, uh, the very first time I ever would speak at a conference, ironically, was Tim Keller's conference that, that had, would happen in Dallas like seven years later. I had spoken in private probably 20, 25 times. Mm-hmm. And I, as you guys know, as by speaking, I really think everyone should learn how to communicate or do a couple messages in front of a group of people uh, because it just really helps you figure out a little bit of more about who you are and yeah. who you're not. There's something about identity that's kind of wrestled with in its different, fresh way uh, when you speak because you realize how much like, I don't know, there's something about it that maybe it's because we're so nervous to do it, mostly not because we're scared we don't know what to say, but we, we're scared of how we're going to come off in front of others. But it helps you attack that a little bit better and become, I always say, once you become confident in who you are and comfortable with who you're not, you really start getting into your sweet spot of your unique yeah, voice. That's good. Voice. Yeah. And so uh, what's cool is even thinking about that is um, of those like 15, I'd say 10 of them, they are pastors and speakers and lead, nonprofit leaders. Like they are good communicators. Um so it really did help develop a lot of a lot of young leaders in 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 private settings. We would eventually invite our friends. It, we we the ones that were really really committed. Uh, we would do one where like five of us to seven of us would bring maybe a handful of our friends, so about thirty people uh, for each of us bringing our friends, and then I'd bring in one or two pastors to give us feedback. So it was now in front of an audience and now with feedback right in front, like right after you're done, you have to stand up there almost like like the voice or American idol. Yeah. 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 It was like Uber, Uber helpful. And there's, yeah, like I said, a lot of young leaders I'm thinking of today that are kind of killing it that were back there. I love that idea. Yeah. I'm actually, my brain is already clicking on how as the campus pastor, I can create preaching cohorts every semester where we put 10 or 15 students in it. And we, we give them like maybe like four or five weeks or whatever, where we just for four or five weeks unpack each other messages based on those three principles, authenticity, content, delivery. I mean, those are yeah. very simple processes. I mean, those are, yeah. those are, and I, I, that's a pretty good idea, but there's a, there's yeah. a, a, a club, a secular club, I guess is what it'd be called Toastmasters. Yeah. 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 Which, yeah, yeah. which basically is the same, same concept. Yeah. 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 It teaches you how to do deliver talks and public speeches speaking, and public yeah. speaking. Um, so as somebody carrying the greatest message of all time, right. we should probably do something similar <laughs> yeah. to help sharpen yeah. people and help them really sort of be able to deliver the message clearly and contextually and, and all the things that are necessary. I think that's a, a fantastic idea and I'm 100% behind you. Yeah, like, yeah. let's do it. Dude, it, dude it, that, be, hey, if y'all do it and there's a way, yeah, I, I would come be a, a coach or some sort. I, was, I need to come to Chattanooga anyway, but oh, I believe they wish every like decently sized church that has the capacity to do it. It's just, I, mm-hmm. we did bring it back. Uh, Couple years, about three years ago, with uh, I used to have this cohort of about eighty leaders from fifty churches that go through um, eight months together in Dallas, and someone brought it up that was in the original group. It's like, hey, we should do this for them, and uh, yeah. it was it, it just yeah, it's so helpful. And and what was cool is it attracted the second time around, it attracted so many people that aren't pastors or don't feel called to actually speak all the time. Like, mm-hmm. but um, it they wanted to do it, so I, I think there is a desire. Not everyone, but a lot of people have outside of daily or regular communicators that want to grow. In yeah. 
And I mean, that, and that's listen. I talked about this uh, yesterday in a, in a different conversation, but but the the hard part is, and I think we get um, a crisis paralysis a lot of times. And I think so many of the issues facing the church and our culture, and we we don't know how to solve all the problems, so we try to solve none of the problems. And I think by taking very simple, very achievable steps like this, it doesn't solve the whole issue with creating opportunities mm-hmm. for students in college to go into full-time ministry right out of college. But it certainly does give them a lot of confidence and it certainly does give them a lot of connectivity and capability to, yeah. you know, to, to pursue it. You know what I'm saying? Like I think, and I think as leaders, I think part of our responsibility, maybe a great part of our responsibility is not actually solving the whole problem. It's, it's help helping those under us to take the first step to solving their own problems. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, like as a leader, my whole job is not solving everyone's problem. You know, my job may be actually helping this student take that first step of boldness and courage to, to helping them solve their own problems. And if they feel that call and that passion to preach the gospel, then maybe my job is to help them do that. And then, then be able to move them on to, you know, mm-hmm. wherever I can. Yeah. So, I mean, I and, think and a key, right. I think some key you said, and I, I struggled with this early on. I was one of those who the first 200 were terrible. I'll admit that. Um, I'm probably it, a 350 spot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I remember like finally finding my own voice in that, like in becoming yeah. authentically who I was. Cause I, I, I sat under a really good and, and was a youth pastor under a really good pastor and preacher um, we didn't have as much exposure to content at the time, 20 plus years ago. Like I think about the kids now, they're on perpetual content overload. Like they can hear the greatest of the greats and begin to emulate, you know, the rhythms and the, and the language and the, all the yeah. things. And so I think really helping them find their own voice because their voice is what's needed, not a duplication of Chandler, Furtick, Jakes, or whoever, Grishel, whoever you want to name, Ethan Rob, the yeah. great oh, Rob yeah, Fultz. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, helping them find an authentic voice, an authentic expression of the gospel and who they are. That's a critical part of, of what, especially these, yeah. like, you launch these cohorts, that piece of it. Who are you in this context of communication? It's so interesting. I, I've sat with so many preachers who. I'll have a conversation with them, and they're like quiet and meek and soft spoken, and they preach, and they're somebody completely different. Yeah, like, yeah. and I'm just like, which is you? You know, yeah. which one is you? Um, so the helping them discover who they are and that coming out expressed, I think, is valuable. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So I, I we're we're starting to run out of time, so I definitely want to get to at least one more question before we ask the final question. But, um, you know, we, we talk a lot on the show about intergenerational relationships and how important they are to not only the local church, but just really the whole gospel experience, the discipleship, uh, any discipleship model is going to need intergenerational, uh, you know, realities that, that are attached to it. So um, with you and your work and your experience and kind of being someone who has uh, and is helping bridge that gap between between generations, what is... Um, what is needed? How, how do you, in, in your words or in your mind, do we build these healthy intergenerational realities in ministry in the local church in our in our Christian communities? Yeah, I mean, there's there's various strategies. Are you talking about if you are a pastor, if you're a young person, if you're a parent? <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, you know, it's uh, your choice. Like you can pick any pathway you want. Like I, I don't really have like a, a particular bend in yeah. mind. I'm just curious, like 
What are you seeing? Yeah. What are you hearing? What are you thinking? Yeah, I'm a very practical thinker on like, okay, here's the value. We all, like most Christians all agree on values. It's the vehicles that we often don't even create one for the value. Mm-hmm. Or we, we don't all have to like every church's vehicle for the value. I, uh, but for the value of discipleship, um, it, I think, yeah, there needs to be vehicles like, uh, y'all are talking about paths. Um, if there were paths, like usually most churches in their mission statements say, um, we exist some form of this, like we exist to glorify God by making disciples in Cleveland, Tennessee, and beyond or something like that. Um, it's a very common uh, version of any city's mission statement or church's mission statement in a city. Um, but if you ask, okay, that's a mission statement, like you spent, that's like the overarching banner. How do you, for a pastor, I would say, how do you, until you measure discipleship, I, I don't think it really matters uh, to the church. Um, if there was one thing I could get every church to do, it would be to measure discipleship. Um, I, I, I have found that uh, there's a saying of whatever you ma- measure reveals what matters most. Um, and uh, I had a mentor actually here in Tennessee uh, from years ago say, uh, what you count and what you celebrate creates your culture. Um, I've always, that like really shifted the way I think of like things of what I count and what my organization counts and what my organization celebrates creates the culture. Um, so I might say that I'm all about this, this and this at, at our organization or in our church. But if we're never counting that really, and we're not celebrating that, then it's, it's just like sentiment we have towards it. We, it, it's a good rally cry, but we don't actually like, and, and uh, Jim Simbla and uh, Fresh One, Fresh Fires, He's kind of notorious for saying that um, what we count, what we celebrate is butts, budgets, and buildings in, in uh, church. So how many people showed up, how many people gave, and how um, maybe these days, like how many campuses do you have or how many people, uh, um, or some building campaign you may be working on for new buildings. It's all about like expanding the, the church, if you will. Um, and I actually am not ever against that. I think the discipleship community can sometimes uh, it almost comes off like you're like, leave all that and do this. And I, I don't think you should do that. I think right. uh, you need to measure giving. You need to measure attendance. You need to and should be expanding and multiplying campuses and all that. That's, that's great. Um, I think it's like a pulse. Um, those, that's the pulse. Like those are never going away. But there's a lot of very obese people that have a pulse. Like um, if you don't have a pulse, you're dead. But just because you have a pulse doesn't mean you're healthy. Like um, that's good. I think discipleship needs to be added being measured needs to be added to the scorecard of the church and until we do measure it we just it doesn't really matter like nike makes shoes and other products now but like i can guarantee they measure and know how many shoes they made each year uh chick-fil-a makes chicken sandwiches i guarantee they know how many they made and how many they sold uh tesla makes cars they know how many cars they made and how many sold i think the church is one of the biggest organizations has no idea how many disciples they, even though they say they make disciples, they have zero idea. Um, most companies is the size of our organization, the church, should not be able to keep going, getting by with that level of like, uh, I was just, I was, I don't, I, I don't know how to say poor leadership in a nice way, but like, that's just not, it's the reason we have a, uh, next gen problem like i think at the core as you already quoted in the book is like we don't have a, a next gen problem as much as we have a discipleship problem and yeah. we, we will 
always have a, a next-gen problem until we fix the discipleship problem. Amen. And so, yeah, the yeah. last thing I'll say, once you measure discipleship, it forces you to, because the next question is, okay, if we really wanted to measure it, we have to define it. And I think that's true because mm-hmm. I like measuring it because then it forces all the other things. If we want to measure it, we have to define it. What is a disciple here at our church? I don't think it needs to be the same definition at every church, but I think you need to prayerfully led by the spirit in community of the leadership, really look at the scriptures and say, based on what we're seeing, this is what we want to be the marks of a disciple here. And we're going to push vehicles that lead our people to be that. Um, but yeah, what is, what is a disciple? What's our path for people that come here and say they want to get discipled or they want to make disciples. They want to become a healthier disciple. Um, and then, yeah, what, how do we know when it's happened and when, when, when we start with a new one. And so, um, I think that would really cascade into a lot of a lot of health if we just simply measured it. Um, it would tell everyone at the church, and I think the next generation would really love this, um, or anyone that's tired of church feeling boring, is it's not enough to just show up. It's not even enough to give and serve. Um, yeah. We have been counting and celebrating that for a long time, and that's still going to get counted and celebrated, but it's not enough. Like, you know what's really big here? When I have someone say, I just started a discipleship relationship with some young kid I just met, and I'm... I, I'm an empty nester now, but I'm pouring into this kid and he's starting to come over and he's starting to join me for things and he's met my wife. Um, or when I see a young person say, hey, I, I actually, I can't hang out tonight with everyone. You guys are all in, hanging out and going to this college event. It's so fun and every year everyone loves it. But I told this older guy that I'm getting inside by, I would come over tonight and I got to honor that commitment. And I would celebrate that a lot. Um, the more we do that, I think it's going to push the model of discipleship as the, the scorecard in the hero. Yeah, that's, I think that's a great place to kind of Absolutely. land. And that's, that's a sweet spot of Rob and I. So we will we will keep that conversation live, Grant, on the side. But we have one final question we ask every one of our guests on the show because we do record here at the lovely Lee University campus. And we are fans of college students, and Rob works here at the campus. What is one lesson you learned in college that did not take place in the classroom? Uh, I think the power of prayer would probably be it. I, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I helped. I had a man 10 years older than me, so he was 29 at the time. Which was, so I sorry, he was 31. Uh, sorry, I apologize. I was 19 and he was 29, which felt a lot older. Now I'm older than that, I don't feel that old, but he was 29 when I was in college and he said, Hey, will you start a nonprofit with me? And we just had to do so many things bigger than ourselves that I remember going to Barnes and Noble and asking them, Hey, I need a best books on leadership. Cause I didn't tell them, but I'm like, if I'm going to leave this nonprofit with him, I just took it very serious. And right. now I'm like, Man, it wasn't that big of a deal, but I'm, I'm really glad I took it as serious as I did, but I read good to great. And I read Malcolm Gladwell, the tipping point, And I read mm-hmm. uh, how to win friends and influence people all great and staple books at that time at 19 i was like this is not christian but this is so helpful and um then i yeah i read fresh one fresh fire and i kind of pushed me towards and just taking on such big things that we were trying to dream um just learn the power of prayer and uh i yeah I, I think i realized very quickly that if you ever see prayer gatherings at churches, most of the time they're, they're gray-haired people that go to it. It's not usually the young next-gen event. Mm-hmm. But I've always thought it would be so awesome if it was. Um, real quick story is when I was in New York once, I went to a breakout on prayer and left this massive breakout on church planting. 
um, all the young people were at the church planning breakout. When I went to the one on prayer, it went from hundreds in a breakout on church planning to 20 to 30 on prayer, all older people, not even my parents' age, like my grandparents' age. And I thought, man, why am no one young here in the prayer breakout? And I asked the guy afterwards who led the breakout, well, hey, why do you think none of the young people come to this? And he said a line that always stuck with me at that age. And he said, um, he laughed and he said, well, I think this is why it's because when you're young, you think you can change the world. But as you get older, you realize there's no way you're going to change the world without the power of God. Yeah. And I always, it hit me as like, man, the next generation and myself were so passionate. But if we could not try to change the world in our own strength, but turn that passion and that unbelievable, almost childlike, naive vision for what God could do, and then immediately enter into prayer for direction and guidance. Um, and his, his intervention would, would be really powerful instead of, hey, I want to be the hero and I want to go change the world. So let me go exert so much energy that we'll get somewhere, I think. But man, when you when you pray and when especially fast, in other words, I just don't hear any young people talking about doing much. Um, you just see God show up in like yeah. crazy way. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Grant, it's been a joy to have you on the show, man. We are so grateful for you, the work you're doing uh, with Next Gen, the work you're doing with Q. And I uh, really look forward to hearing more from you and staying connected, yeah. especially through Q and the, all these other things. But, man, thank you so much for being on the show. It was awesome to have you. As we always say at the Leadership Drip, you've got to see the table, man. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Leadership Drip. If something from this episode was helpful for you, then share it on your social media and tag us. If we see it, we may reshare it on our channels. We appreciate you taking the time to join us. And remember, you always have a seat at the table.